Wow. If it weren't for the fact that half of us probably had to dig our cars out of snow, I would just say, let's just go home. I mean, I, I don't know if I have any more room in me after worship and uh, after that. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. Lord, we, we repeat what David said in Psalm 139. How precious to us are your thoughts. Father, your thoughts are so precious to us. More precious than gold. More precious than comfort. More precious than anything and everything this world has to offer. Your thoughts are precious to us. And and we welcome your thoughts right now in this space, into our hearts, into our minds. We welcome your precious thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Join me as I read this passage, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in His comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we've set our hope that He will deliver us again. And you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So this is week six in our our series, Holiness. We're trying to get a vision for spiritual and emotional maturity. Last week, we looked specifically at the shame that we encounter, we experience when we encounter just how weak we are. So this type of shame is especially common among Followers of Jesus who experience depression. The D word we talked about last week. So, why are we looking at depression? Why two weeks on depression? The first answer is because Mark asked me to do that. The second answer to that question is that apparently depression is sort of becoming an epidemic in our society. It's been around for thousands of years, but some would say it's kind of uh, on an increase that we are more susceptible today than we ever were. So right now, down the street at the Museum of Science, there's an exhibit on major depression. If you haven't seen it yet, there's a slide that you don't have to read it, but it's a placard that's part of this exhibit, and it talks about why we are more susceptible to depression today compared to times in the past. And basically, our society moving away from small, tight-knit communities to increase social isolation, stress used to be a gift 
that enabled us to engage in fight or flight situations that saved our lives. But now we live with the constant drip of chronic stress. Thirdly, physical exercise was a normal part of our life, and we have drifted towards inactivity. So because of these things, we've, we're kind of just more susceptible to depression. So that's why we're talking about it this morning. So in this passage that I just read, the passage we looked at last week, Paul describes a time of affliction when he was pressed beyond his ability to endure, physically, emotionally, mentally. He found himself in a place of complete weakness. We looked at how God responded to Paul's weakness. We looked at how God responds to our weakness. Basically, when God encounters our weakness, he responds very different. I don't know if that's right, correct grammar, but he responds differently than how I respond when I encounter my weakness. Basically, he does not share, the Father does not share in the disappointment, the disgust that I experience or we experience towards ourselves. But he experiences a deep, a profound fatherly compassion. And he doesn't recoil and turn away when he sees our weakness. But as the God of comfort, he rushes to our side and brings support. Just like the the father in Luke 15, the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son is that that son is coming back full of shame, rehearsing his story. What does the father do? He runs and embraces his son. So, last week, we saw in this passage how God responds to our weakness and pain. How God responds to your weakness and your pain. And this morning, we're going to take a look at how are we to respond? What's the appropriate response? What's my appropriate response when I'm encountered or when I encounter the depths of my own weakness or the depth of my own unresolved pain? So, being the second of a week on depression, that's going to be the context, okay? But I guarantee that these things that, that, I'm, that I'm sharing applies to a context far broader than just depression. So, I think the best place to start to answer that question, how do we respond to weakness? How do we respond to our pain? We, we, we need to ask, well, how did Paul respond to his weakness? How did Paul respond to his pain? Well, lucky for us, Paul spoon-feeds us the answer in this passage that we're looking at. And so, um, if you have it open in your Bibles, in verse 9, he says that these, these, uh, this experience, we encountered this experience so that we would rely on God and not ourselves. In the next verse, he says, we have set our hope in Him. Okay, so again, Paul is spoon-fed us. This is how I respond when, I'm in, when I encounter weakness and pain. I rely on God. I set my hopes on Him. So, I want to unpack this a little bit. I want us to camp out. What? Okay, great. Like, I've, I've heard that before. You know, maybe, I'm sure Phil, when he was one of his Sunday school teachers, Miss Hannah, probably shared it with him before, you know, it's, we all know, yes, we're supposed to rely on God, but what does that mean? What does it mean to rely on God? What does it mean to set our hopes on Him? So, I'm going to attempt to kind of unpack this idea a little bit. 
And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to share from my own journey through depression, okay? Along this journey, there have been times when I didn't rely on God, and I'll share what that looked like. I didn't set my hope on God. There are times when, by the grace of God, I did rely on God when faced with that, that, the, the pain of depression and the weakness, the inability to kind of pick myself up out of it. But most of it has been neither of those. It's been a struggle of trying to figure out what, a daily struggle, what does it look like, Lord, to rely on you today in this. And so I'm going to share my story. So growing up, I had the reputation of being a, you know, a happy kid for the most part. Um, but I can, I can often remember as a kid experiencing, you know, just kind of empty feelings. I had low self-esteem. Um, <laughs> on one hand, it's like, well, who didn't really as a kid, right? Um, I, I would experience, you know, hopelessness. I'd feel down. And there are times where it was for no apparent reason. I couldn't necessarily point, you know, Jimmy stole my skateboard and therefore I'm really down in the dumps, like, of course, there are times that would happen, but there are times where it's just, I, I don't, this is weird. I don't have a handle for this. So, in high school, I discovered that uh, alcohol, drugs, relationships, things like that, like many of us here, I have no doubt, I discovered that these things were actually, don't tell my kids this, but they were actually really good at helping me cope with this stuff. They, they helped distract me, right, from the, this, this, uh, the, the, the emptiness I felt, the hopelessness. I've talked a little bit about that before up here. They kind of, they helped me kind of numb that negative noise that I had lived with from time to time, often growing up. However, All that came to a halt when I started following Jesus. When I started following Jesus in 1995 as a college freshman, I found out that Jesus was not that cool with me taking my pain, bringing my pain to these these substances. He wasn't cool with me bringing my pain to alcohol, to to drugs, to... to, uh, you know, uh, relationships that weren't healthy. I don't, I don't know why, because they, it was working for me so well. Not really. But here's the deal. Jesus said, hey, I want you to bring that to me now. I want you to bring it to me. So, at that time, when I was 18, that's where I began to shift how I dealt, how I responded to my pain and my weakness. Instead of looking to myself or looking to the things around me or looking at others, it was now I had this understanding that, God, you want me to look to you. You want me to bring it to you. It didn't happen instantly. I don't know if it's fully happened yet, but it's the direction that I'm committed to. So I discovered that as I would bring my pain and bring my weakness to Jesus, bring it to the Father, that he dealt with it very differently than the, the things, the substances, the things that I brought my pain to before. 
he didn't distract me from it. He didn't provide great, you know, it's not like he just provided better distractions. He didn't, it's not that he provided better numbing, you know, anesthesia to numb me from this pain. His ways were very different. Basically, his ways was, hey, let's go towards the pain. Together, let's go towards the pain. So, that's hard. <laughs> you guys know that. That's hard. Let's go to the pain. So, he, during that season, the Lord helped me see how much of the pain that was in my life was actually the result of lies that I had collected throughout my life. Lies I believed about myself. Lies I believed about him. Lies I believed about other people. Lies I, le- I believed about life in general. Um, he often would lead me to places of unforgiveness in my heart. He showed me how those places of unforgiveness towards those who'd hurt me in the past, actually, the unforgiveness kind of stood as a guard to protect these lies. And that in order to get past and, and bring God's truth to those lies, I had to deal with that unforgiveness. Very painful process. He would expose the lies. And we would enter into that place together and he would say, Clark, you see this? It's time to disagree. You've agreed with this your whole life. It's time to break that agreement. Okay? And it's time to receive my truth. So I was in the season of experiencing God as my counselor, my incredible counselor. He was so smart, so wise. I was experiencing freedom that was incredible. I wanted more and more freedom and wholeness. I, whenever these old feelings with any kind of negativity would come up, whether it was the old, the hopelessness that, that I struggled with when I was younger and still then, or whether it was, was, was stuff that was tied to a circumstance, I would say, okay, let's go, Jesus. Show me where's the lie. <laughs> you know, let's go. Let's, let's tackle this thing. But show me where the lie is in the truth. There wasn't always a lie to go to. There wasn't always a place, of, a place of unforgiveness that Jesus would take me to. So, I, I knew, or I believed that, okay, I struggle with, I think I struggle with depression. And, but I believed that it, it was the result of these buried lies in my life. I was convinced that that was the main, the main uh, cause of this depression in my life. So, Whenever the topic of antidepressants came up in a conversation, or I'd see a commercial, are you sad? Have you lost interest in things you once enjoyed? I'd be like, give me a break, come on. I would react so strongly, because I knew that the old way, my old way of dealing with depression was going towards these substances. And it's like, no way, I'm beyond that. I go to Jesus now. I take my pain to Jesus This, this pain that I, was, I experienced, the depression, it would press me into Jesus, and I was experiencing and still experience a deep intimacy with God, a deep level of transformation. And I wasn't going to turn from Him and start taking my pain to a substance again. Fast forward a few years, and I meet a girl, not just any girl, but my wife Natalie, and I was pretty smitten by her, and so I asked her what she would, thought about 
maybe marrying me. And she married me. She said yes. But here's the deal. We got married in November. The summer before that November, I was on staff with a church in Austin, and it's, I'm sure it's much like it is here. Everyone just scatters to the four corners of the earth, all the, the leadership and people, short-term trips, and I was usually the one left holding the flag, you know, hold, keeping the fort. And so I was asked this summer to lead a small group that was uh, uh, going to go through a video series on emotional transformation. And I, I, I had no idea what I was in store for. Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the content of this video series. It was by a, a the guy who, who put it together was a, a spirit-filled uh, psychiatrist. Um, so he's talking about emotional bondage. And in this series, they present it, he presents, there's, in our, if you imagine your emotional wounds, your emotional bondage, these things you can't break free from, it's like a chain, you know, it's like this chain wrapped around you. And he talked about the three types of links in this chain, okay? The first link that he addressed is the spiritual link. So, nothing new to me, maybe not new to you. I had lots of room in my worldview for this link. You know, we, see, we can see in Scripture that demonic spirits can actually cause mental and emotional pain in people. Have you read your Bible? We see this very clearly in King Saul's life, in 1 Samuel 16 and 18, where Saul struggled with emotions of jealousy and anger towards David. And there was a demonic spirit that would come upon him, and it was like a magnifying glass. It would magnify that jealousy and that anger, and he would walk around in his house with a spear and try to pin David to the wall with it. Okay. Jesus dealt with this issue frequently in his ministry, in his earthly ministry. If you, I'm sure you know that as you read the Gospels. And what was his response to people who struggled with this? Deliverance. He used his authority. Get out. I rebuke you. Get out. So, those who are in the kind of the, what you might describe as a hyper-charismatic camp might say, behind every emotional pain, or maybe even physical pain, there's a demon hiding back there. And so, you know, hey, pastor, I'm discouraged. I've got to cast a demon out of you. Okay? So, there's, there's that, that camp identifies with this particular link. So, if you are experiencing emotional bondage or wounds... And if, if, if you know that you've ever uh, dabbled in or been a part of any kind of occult, occultic activity, then it's very possible that there's a spiritual link attached, okay? So, second link, the second possible link in, your, in emotional bondage is wrong beliefs stemming from what he called personality injury. Call it emotional wounds, whatever. Um, things that have happened to us in the past that we, in response, have, have, have developed these untrue beliefs about ourselves, God, the world, whatever. So, as I explained on the front end of this message, I had lots of room in my worldview for this, this emotional link. I mean, this, this, this link. Um, 
I, I knew all the scripture, Romans 12, 2. Uh, you know, the, the, the Bible paints this picture that when we come to Jesus, we bring all of these wrong beliefs, okay, that we're in bondage to. And he, we begin this process of sanctification, of being uh, transformed. Romans 12, 2 says that the key to our transformation is the renewal of our mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I think, I think it's safe to assume that most of us have room in our worldview for this link. So what was Jesus' response when he encountered this, this link of emotional pain in people's lives? He brought truth. He brought revelation to people. Okay? So, uh, you could say that those who are maybe in a, the psychotherapy camp, I'm not, this is a gross generalization, okay? But those who are in more of a psychotherapy camp might say, hey, all emotional pain is, is just linked to wrong thinking. We just got to have talk therapy, figure out what you're believing that's wrong, and, and that'll take care of it 100% of the time. So, if you're experiencing emotional bondage and there are, there are painful memories from your past that surface in your mind, it could be that there's some wrong beliefs that the Lord's wanting to address. Okay. The final link uh, that was being presented in this video series is the physical. Okay. I had no room in my worldview for the physical link connected to emotional wounding. Um, Despite the four years that I spent studying biology at the University of Texas in Austin, I had a very difficult time accepting the fact that for, for my brain to form a thought that it was just as much a physical act as focusing my eyes on an object across the room. I had a very hard time accepting that. So, the, the, the formation of our thoughts and the, the moods that result are a very physical process. So, there's neurotransmitters, neural pathways. Uh, this explains how if someone gets a head injury, they, their personality can be completely different afterwards. Um, so, how did Jesus respond to people whose bodies just weren't working the way they were designed to work. He healed them, right? He used his power. He, he said, get up, pick up your mat. And he healed people, and he still does it today. So, though, again, gross generalization, but those who are in the medical camp... Some, let's say some, my, my, you know, I know a lot of doctors, my dad's a doctor, they would say, no, 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 don't put me in that box. But this is gross generalization. Those in the, in the medical camp might assert that, hey, behind all emotional pain, there is a physical disorder. We just need to find the right pill to fix it. It's a physical issue. So, needless to say, this, this, this framework, this, this kind of holistic worldview of, of, 
Emotional pain, emotional bondage was very unsettling for me because basically what it did, it put its knee in my chest and pinned me to the ground and it forced a question on me. It said, is it possible that some of your struggle, some of your depression is actually just, your brain's just not working the way it's supposed to? Now, you would think that I would be relieved, like, woohoo, that's awesome, you know, but this idea was very scary to me. So th- this idea that there was something wrong with me that then I can't, I can't will myself out of it. I can't just kind of memorize scripture and it'll go away. I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with that depth of weakness. I'm not sure I wanted to go there. But I felt the Lord's invitation Clark, let's go. Let's go on this journey together. So, um, whenever I would, you know, think about, well, God, if I go down there, it, what if I lead to taking medicine? And Lord, I, I just, I'm not comfortable with that. And I had this scenario that would play out in my mind. And basically the scenario was me standing before Jesus on the last day. And Jesus looking at me and saying, Clark, said, This depression that was in your life, it was a gift from me. And it was a gift that was intended to cause you to, the pain would cause you to press into me and press in to depths of intimacy and transformation. But you kind of took the shortcut out of it. You you short-circuited that process. That was a scary scenario. I did not want that to happen. So as I began to wrestle with the Lord and, and, and be willing to uh, find out what was true regardless of, of where it would take me in my life, that scene in my mind began to change. And there was a new scenario that was in my mind. I believe the first scenario in my mind was me, who's my flesh. I believe the second one was the Lord uh, bringing truth and reality. So in this new scene... Now, mind you, I'm about to get married in this this story. In this new scene, I'm standing before the throne and God is saying, Clark, Jesus is saying, you had a sickness. If only you would have just acknowledged that you had a sickness. You could have asked me for healing. You could have received help. And, And in doing so, you would have been so much more present emotionally and mentally as a husband and so much more available to your children as a father. It's like, oh, great. Oh, I don't want to experience that. And I, I, I experienced the Lord's heart in that, that change. So I came to a place of willing to accept that, okay, I might, there might just be something wrong with my brain. In the same way that I have asthma, there's something wrong with my lungs. Same way that there's something wrong with my eyes, that I cannot focus across the room without these little pieces of silicone or whatever they're made of, these contact lenses. Maybe there's something wrong with my brain. So I spoke with a doctor. That was a big, big deal regarding my history, my symptoms. And it turned out that I, I have a thing called dysthymia. There's lots of different types of depression. But basically, dysthymia is this mild but persistent depression that a lot of times it just doesn't go away. 
Dang. <laughs> so I, I prayerfully decided to, that I would take, take, start taking medication. So I learned about the medicine, you know. Okay, now tell me it's not just going to numb me. It's like, oh, it actually repairs this, this, this function that, that's not quite working the way it should. So I could tell a difference when I started taking medicine, but not as much as my wife Natalie could. Natalie could tell a huge difference, and she'll say, oh my gosh, like, it was night and day, you're so much more resilient, you don't get stuck on things, you move past things quicker, I was more emotionally resilient, so, but my bouts, the, uh, the unexplained, times of unexplainable hopelessness became less frequent, but it's not like, woohoo, it's all gone, I'm never sad anymore, like, stuff still comes, you know, I'd still experience, like, why am I sad, like, I just had the, yesterday was the best day of my life, and things are going so well, and what's the deal? So, and the, the, the medication, it does absolutely nothing to relieve the pain in my life resulting from the lies that I believe. <laughs> I wish there was a pill for that, you know? But I still have to press into Jesus daily to find wholeness and transformation. So, I want to share briefly, what, what does pressing into Jesus look like for me when struggling with depression. Um, there's, and I want to look at our passage if we can get it up there. But in verse 8 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about his experience, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Okay, so paints this picture of, man, we were in great despair. We were despairing life. There's no way out. Okay, skip ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. And I don't think we have a, scripture for, a passage for this on, on there, but I'm going to read to you. you, should, you probably, maybe you're all familiar with this. The same guy who just wrote that I was filled with, dis- I despaired life itself, says in, in verse 8 of chapter 4, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. What? What are you talking about? Did someone steal the pen from Paul for, for a minute and kind of scribbled that in? I mean, he's, it seems to me like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. I was despaired. I don't experience despair because, even though I'm crushed because of the faith we have in Jesus. So what's going on here? Here's the deal. Paul experienced despair, okay? Despairing thoughts, despairing feelings on many, occasion, many occasions. But when he encountered these thoughts, these hopeless things, he did not give them the last word. Okay? He did not give himself over to them. He did not wrap himself around them and say, this is truth. I give myself to you, despair. No. As it says in verse 8 of chapter 1, he pressed beyond those thoughts, those emotions, into Jesus, into relying. And that's what Paul means when he says, we're not driven to despair. That means we don't, that's not where we end up. That's not where we stay. That's not where we, what we give ourselves to. So, though I struggle at times with powerful thoughts and emotions of depression, I press in to God's truth with all my might. I resist the temptation to shake hands with the lies that I'm feeling, that I'm believing. I, 
I, I use every, every ounce of my strength to not agree with the thoughts. And let me tell you, it's not easy. And I'm speaking to any of you who have any experience with depression. I'm not making light of this. It is a difficult thing. There are days where fighting the good fight of faith is me laying on my bed in the morning saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, that's what fighting looks like some days. Okay, because if you struggle with depression, it is like in trying to, to lay a hold of truth and say, no, it's like swimming against the current of a raging river. That's what it feels like. So I'm not making light of this in any way. So I have one final point. And then we're going to respond. Now, remember Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and turned away from God. Within Adam and Eve, all of humanity fell from God's God's glory. Okay. And I don't think we really have an idea of how far that fall was. It was a huge fall. And when, when we fell, when we became separated from God, there was a wave of dysfunction and brokenness that <sighs> spread out in every direction. It affected every relationship, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, even down to our DNA, even down to our bodies, our DNA. This is why when Jesus comes back, he's not going to pick up Phil and just kind of dust, turn around like, okay, you're good. No, he's going to give Phil a brand new body, a brand new body, a glorious body that is not susceptible to brokenness and sin, that a brand new body that has neural pathways that are, are, are in line with love and truth, okay? This is why we have a hope for a brand new resurrected body. Okay, this is why Paul, one of the reasons why Paul refers to our fallen nature as the flesh. He's talking about our flesh. He's not talking just about some philosophical, sinful nature. He's talking about our flesh. Okay. There's a, there's a great book that, I've, that I read. It's called The Biology of Sin, where it's, it's, a, it's a believer who's a psychiatrist, and he unpacks a lot of this, and, he, and, and, you know, talks about all the dispositions, the predispositions that we, are, we come into this world with. It could be that you're, you, you come in predisposed to anger, rage. It could be that you come in, a little baby comes into this world predisposed to addiction. It could be that, that, that a child comes into this world predisposed to sexual immorality. It could be that there's a predisposition towards violence and crime. So in my situation, my DNA or genetics, whatever you want to call it, I'm predisposed to disagreeing with God's truth. I am predisposed to believe things that are untrue, to, to embrace hopelessness. When I have hope, you see what I'm saying? But this is, 
What's important is this does not give me a pass. This does not mean God's called all of you to walk in hope, to all of you to walk in truth, but I get a pass. I don't have to because I have a predisposition to hopelessness. I don't believe that. I don't see that in the Word. But here's the deal. I'm not condemned. God doesn't condemn my predisposition. What does He do? On the contrary, it opens me up to a fountain of compassion, a fountain of mercy in God, a fountain of comfort that we talked about last week. Whereas a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion, whoops, on those who fear him because he knows their form, he knows their frame, he knows that you're dust, he knows your predispositions. So Paul says in Romans 8, before Jesus, we lived in accordance with the flesh. We lived in agreement with it. We woke up in agreement with our our predispositions towards sin, whatever you want to call it. Maybe it was, you know what? You woke up and you said, my dad had a temper. I've got a temper. It's just the way I am. Not anymore. We don't walk according in agreement with the flesh. We live in agreement and according to the Spirit. Okay? This is truth, guys. And it's not easy. I'm not saying that it's easy. All right. We're going to respond. If the worship team could come on up. Have some questions for us. Is there emotional pain in your life? (laughs) Is there emotional pain in your life? Is there a depression? Let the pain press you into Jesus if you're not already. If you are, way to go. Well done. If your pain is linked to something spiritual, Jesus is the deliverer. He has authority over demons. He's the deliverer. If your pain is rooted in wrong beliefs that you've collected throughout life, trying to make sense of the world. Guess what? Jesus is the counselor, and he can lead you to freedom. He can lead you to these these beliefs, these wrong beliefs, and bring truth. Is your pain a result of a physical disorder? I've got good news. Jesus is the healer. He has power to heal. Would you stand with me? Cue music. So what does it look like for for you? What does it look like for us to press into Jesus? If you identify in any way to what I shared this morning, would you just put your hands out like this? And just receive, I'm just going to pray. Jesus, your name means the Lord who saves. The Lord saves. Jesus, you save every part of us. You came 2,000 years ago to save every broken part of our lives. You came to save our spirits. You are saving our souls through this process of sanctification. And you will save our bodies on that day when you return. 
And Jesus, I ask that you would show each one of us this morning, what does it look like to press into you, to let our pain press into you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would open up that fountain of compassion and comfort and mercy to flow to every deep place of pain. Remain standing if you would. As we gather on Sunday mornings, it's a, a time to worship Jesus, to hear his word, and to receive from him. And not every time, but many times, this is, this is what we're doing. At the end of the service, you, can be, you might just sit and journal, pray, open up the scriptures. Or you may want to agree with someone in praying. I'm going to ask those that have been on prayer teams in the past, life group leaders, to go come down to the front. And whatever is happening in your life, you may need a job right now. There may be a physical sickness you have you want to have someone pray with you about. It may be some specific thing that's come up in your heart as, as Clark has been speaking. This is just an opportunity as we agree in the name of Jesus with another person releases his power in our lives. We're going to worship, and I just welcome you to, to join with others.